listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast by Dr. Robert Shaw. For a complete archive of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. We're going to look at verses 1 through 17 this morning. and It really is about the ministry, the message, and the humility of John the Baptizer, John the Baptist. There's a story told of a pastor who was in a very small town and he had a death occur in his town and it was actually a death of one of two brothers. And these two brothers were some of the vilest people this pastor knew. They just never did anything right. They cheated people. They were very corrupt and yet they were very successful in business. And one of the brothers died and the other brother came to the pastor and said, I want you to do my brother's funeral. And the pastor thought, well, what in the world could I say at this funeral? And he was about ready to decline, and the guy said, in fact, I know you're in a building program, and I'll donate $500,000 to your church if you'll do my brother's funeral. And the pastor thought, well, I would have done your brother's funeral. You didn't have to offer me the money. And the guy said, but there's one provision. You only get the money if you promise to say that my brother was a saint. So you've got to preach a funeral and say that my brother was a saint and the pastor deliberated over it and thought, well, our church really needs the money, but I've got to be true to the fact that these were two of the vilest men I ever knew. And he finally agreed, okay, I'll do it. So he preached the funeral and he got up and basically what he said about the brother was, he said, this was the vilest man I've ever known. He cheated everybody in town. He was corrupt. Nobody much liked him. Most people were kind of glad to see him gone. But compared to his brother, he was a saint. Well, this morning we're looking at a comparison. Not quite that same comparison, but you're going to find the people comparing John the Baptist to Jesus. And I want you to see in this message also how John the Baptist perceives himself in comparison to Jesus. Let's look first of all at the first few verses, uh, really the first nine verses about John's message. In fact, this is interesting. Luke, we know of Luke as the as the physician, the beloved physician, as the Apostle Paul uh, referred to him. We know that Luke actually got to travel with the Apostle Paul some on his journeys and was acquainted with him. Uh, Luke also not only wrote the Gospel of Luke, he wrote the Gospel of Acts. Some might call it Second Luke. Uh, and so Luke was very diligent to kind of give a chronology and kind of detail. He investigated very carefully the facts of Scripture. And so he gives us, even in these first few verses, some real indication of how careful he was about his uh, facts. And he even gives some dating. So follow along in the first few verses. It says this, Now in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip was tetrarch of the region of Eturia and Traconius, and Lysanias, and was tetrarch of Abilene. In the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the district around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every ravine will be filled and every mountain and hill will be brought low. The crooked will become straight and the rough roads smooth. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. 
So he began saying to the crowds who were going to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. In the first few verses, there's a lot of names and places that are hard to pronounce. And you kind of wonder, why did Luke go to the detail of that? It may not mean a lot to us. But he's writing to a guy named Theophilus. And he's writing to a group of people that would have identified with the dating of the names that he gives us here. Things like Tiberius Caesar, who was the Roman governor at that time. A Roman emperor, really. Uh, over all of Rome, and he talks about Pontius Pilate, who we're going to see later. This is who Jesus will appear before, right before his crucifixion. This is kind of the guy that it ends up getting thrown into his lap. He really doesn't want it, but he gets thrown into his lap with what I do with Jesus. We see Herod, who was a tetrarch, and you say, what in the world is a tetrarch? Typically that meant that you were in charge of one-fourth of a kingdom. They would divide the area up into fourths, and in this case it appears there were only three such tetrarchs. And so we see Herod, uh, who was the guy who ultimately would have John the Baptist beheaded. And, uh, and then it also mentions his brother Philip, and then it also mentions Annas and Caiaphas. Uh, Annas apparently was the high priest. He also had five sons. And then Caiaphas was his son-in-law, and each of them succeeded him as high priest. But it was the, the ministry, I suppose, of Annas that he kind of retained a lot of that prominence and position as high priest. In fact, this is who Jesus, when he's arrested, is taken to. He's taken to Annas, the high priest. So that gives you a little dating. That's not particularly all that important at this point. But here's the message. John the Baptist came preaching a baptism of repentance. Now, baptism was something that was used in the ancient world of other religions, but it was more of a cleansing. In fact, the Jews themselves weren't baptized, but if you were a Gentile convert to Judaism, they would wash you, they would baptize you, literally dip you to cleanse you kind of externally, but it was a symbol, I guess, that you were now clean. And so John is saying, I'm not just giving you a bath, but I'm giving evidence of the fact that you have repented. And here's what repentance means. The Old Testament word, the New Testament word are similar for repentance. It means you were walking in one direction and you have turned. It's an attitude not just of position, but even an attitude of mind by which you have had a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of direction. That's what repentance is. Now, I don't know about you. When I was a kid growing up in church, the only time I ever heard the word repent was when somebody was pounding on the pulpit at my church. I always wondered, why are these preachers trying to break our pulpit? You know, have you, have you ever been in those kind of churches where they kind of beat on it and leaned over and said, repent? It just kind of really sounded scary. Let me tell you what repent means. It simply means to turn. And so John the Baptist is preaching about something that was not just a ceremonial washing, but it was a repentance of forgiveness of sin. In fact, it was really a foretelling of what was coming. In fact, John's going to talk about his baptism is really inferior to what Jesus is bringing with him. But it's a baptism of repentance. And the whole point, in fact, this passage from Isaiah, the whole point of John's message is, get ready. An angel appeared to John's father and said, you get ready, you're going to have a son, and you're going to call his name John. An angel appeared to Mary and said, get ready, 
You're going to bear the Son of God. And now John has taken up this ministry of getting us ready for the coming of the Messiah. Jesus is already on earth. We know that by the time John baptizes him in the Jordan River, he's about 30 years old. And yet John, months ahead of that, has gone out and he's declaring, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Get ready for Jesus' coming. And then he looked at some of the crowd, and it's interesting to see who some of the people are that came to be baptized. Apparently some of them, this first group that he addresses, were religious people. And he looks at them and says, you brood of vipers. What does that mean? It means you offspring of poisonous snakes. And it's real important to know who he's talking to. He's talking to religious people. He's saying to them, you think because you are religious. You think that because... Excuse me. For those of you that have been here every week and know that I have trouble with this mic every week, this is actually a, a, a loner that I can't get hooked onto my ear well. So I'll, I'll, uh, I don't have an ear well. I can't get it hooked onto my ear well. <laughs> so if I keep playing with something, it's because I'm trying to make sure you can hear me. How's that? Can you hear all right? Y'all pay attention. If you see it fall off, make a note, all right? Wave at me. So the first group of people he talks to are religious people who, in fact, he, he says to them, you know what? You come thinking that you're okay with God because why? Because you're an offspring of Abraham. You think because I'm a descendant of Abraham. You basically are saying, it really has nothing to do with me or how I live my life. I'm just, I'm in the family. And so because I'm in the family, I'm okay. And all they were doing by coming to John was adding one more thing to what they considered to be their resume. And at top of their resume was offspring of Abraham. And here's what John the Baptist... John was just a straight shooter. You didn't have to guess when John got through talking who he was talking to and what he was talking about. He basically looks at him and said, you're the offspring of a poisonous snake. Who warned you to flee? And he says, if you, want to, if you want to basically claim, wait a minute, we're not offsprings of poisonous snakes, we're offsprings of Abraham, let me just clue you in here. God can raise up descendants of Abraham from these rocks. I had the opportunity to go to the Holy Land last year. One of the things that amazed me was how many rocks there are there. Everywhere you go, there's stones, there's huge boulders, there's rocks. And you see that referred to a lot in Scripture. And so uh, John the Baptist is out in the wilderness. He's able to point. See, see all these rocks? You can't even count all of them. There's thousands of them. If God needs offsprings of Abraham, He doesn't need you. He can, he can create them out of these rocks. So you better come to realize that your birthright is not the issue here. You need to repent. You need to quit doing the things you're doing. Well, that stirs up the curiosity of some of the others and they even ask the question, what should we do? And the bottom line of what John says to them is, his message is this, listen, there should be fruit evidenced that's in keeping with repentance. If you've really changed, it'll be evident to everybody. Jesus, over in John chapter 3, refers to it as being born again. Well, birth is something you can't hide. It's evident to everybody. And what John is saying is, this group of people are a brood of vipers. I can wet them today, but tomorrow you will see no difference in their life. They'll still just be religious people. See, Jesus is way more interested in your heart than He is your outward behavior. Yeah, He'll clean up your behavior. But if all you do is clean up your behavior and think you're okay with God and don't have a relationship with Him, 
It would be kind of like going out and cutting a pine tree off at the roots and bringing it over and planting it in your yard and duct taping apples to it. <laughs> and for a little while, you can tell people, I got an apple tree. Look at those apples. It's only one problem. Those apples aren't alive anymore. They're dead. You've killed them. You've cut them off. The tree isn't even alive anymore. And that's an illustration to show what John is talking about. He's saying basically, you can strain to act good. But if you really haven't repented, you're going to be the most frustrated person on the planet and it will last about a minute. But if your heart's really changed, you've really repented, there'll be evidence of it. So he goes on then and applies it. Just a real simple illustration then. The people say, well, what should we do? The crowds were questioning him. Let me read verses 10 and following. The crowds were questioning him saying, then what shall we do? And he would answer and say to them, The man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And he who has food is to do likewise. And some tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what you've been ordered to do. Some soldiers were questioning him, saying, And what about us? And what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely. And be content with your wages. What's John saying? To the religious people, he basically said, you're just a brood of vipers. To these people, these were, in some economy, the dregs of the universe. These were the people that nobody really wanted to hang out with. The first group of people, he simply says, here's a practical illustration. And this isn't the extent of it. Now, the religious people would have said, okay, if i got a couple of shirts, I'm going to give one away. I'm okay with God. No. <laughs> He's just giving them some examples of here's an example of something that will change in your life. If you've really become a follower of Jesus Christ and you see someone in need, one of the things that's going to be evident in your heart, an outspringing of your heart is you're going to help meet that need. If you've got two tunics, which are simply an outer garment, and sometimes people would wear two of them. If you see somebody that doesn't have one and you're walking around with two of them, I'll take one of yours off and give it to them. If you've got some food and you see someone that's hungry... Feed them. Then he gets to the real despised people, the tax collectors. <laughs> we don't particularly like tax day in our country, but in their day it was a lot worse than it is here. Back in those days, men would apply. They would basically by bid apply to the Roman government, hey, I want to be a tax collector. And they say, I will collect the taxes for this price. And the low bidder, the Roman government would say, okay, you're in charge of collecting taxes. The only problem is, as they went to collect taxes, they wouldn't just collect what was due and add a little bit for their commission. They would extort money from people. And they became incredibly wealthy because of that. And so they say, well, what about us? If we're going to bear fruit in keeping with repentance, what's that going to look like in our lives? And John said... Well, don't collect any more that's due. Then do. You know, the interesting thing is he didn't say quit being a tax collector. He didn't say quit your job. He simply said, in your job, glorify Christ. Glorify God. Then the soldiers came to him and said, well, what about us? What should we do? They said, well, quit taking things by force. Quit using your military office and the fact that you can carry weapons as an opportunity to extort from people and quit being a false accuser. 
Quit accusing people falsely. As I was studying, and when I study during the week, I study every word, phrase, and clause. And this was incredible to me. The phrase that he interprets here, the phrase that we see in there, don't accuse people falsely, literally means to be a fig informer. I thought, what in the world is a fig informer? Well, it was illegal to, to export figs from this certain region of Greece into Palestine. And so if you knew it was going on, you would tell on people. You'd kind of rat them out and you would call it a fig informer. And so what John the Baptist is saying is quit being a tattletale. Quit being a fig informer. In fact, quit accusing someone falsely. Quit making up, trumping up charges against anybody. Now, whether it had to do with figs or not, it didn't matter. That's just kind of the term that came to be known. Quit being one of those kind of people. Now, don't quit soldiering. Don't quit being a soldier, but don't take things by force. In fact, the word to take by force literally meant to shake thoroughly or to intimidate. So the way these soldiers would do it would come in with a group of soldiers with a bunch of weapons and basically said, you're going to give us money or else. Young people, you may never heard this term, but old folks have. This is what's referred to as a shakedown. That's what they would do to these people, literally. And the people would quake in their boots and give them anything they asked for. And then he says, be content with your wages. Be content with what they've offered to pay you. Be content with that. I haven't seen this in our area, but I was in the upstate recently and there was a Dave Ramsey billboards everywhere and it said, act your wage. <laughs> what Dave Ramsey's basically saying is, spend your money like what you make. What John's saying to these Roman soldiers is, be content with what you have and quit trying to take more from other people. And then my favorite part of this passage is the next few verses. Let me read verses 15 and following. Because this is an indication of John's humility. When the angels had gone... Excuse, that's verse 15 of another chapter. Verse 15 of chapter 3. Now, while the people were in a state of expectation and all were wondering in their hearts about John as to whether he was the Christ, John answered and said to them all, As for me, I baptize you with water. But one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to thoroughly clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You see, as John is teaching, people are wondering and apparently even saying to one another, Is this the Messiah? Is this the long-awaited one? Because they expected the Messiah to come in and kind of overthrow the Roman government. They expected Him to run right in on this white horse. And John fits some of the profile of what they were thinking and what they heard Him teaching. They thought, He sounds like maybe He's it. He's the anointed one. So John knows what they're thinking or at least hears what they're saying. And he says, no, wait a minute. I'm not the Christ. Listen, as for me, I baptize you with water. I'm simply immersing you in the Jordan River. There's one coming after me who will immerse you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. In fact, John says two things very important to him. First of all, he says, my baptism is inferior to the one he's bringing. But more importantly than that, I'm inferior to the one that's coming. The one that is coming is mightier than me. In fact, later on, John is approached by his own disciples, his own followers, and they will say to him, you know what? This Jesus is becoming more popular than you. Should we be following Him or you? And John said, listen, I must decrease. He must increase. The one who's coming after me 
is mightier than me. I'm not even fit. He puts it in this perspective. I'm not even fit to untie his sandals. Who normally would untie somebody else's sandals? A servant. A servant would normally take on this menial task of untying the sandal of the person. In fact, it would typically be done at mealtimes when they were going to wash the feet. In fact, there's a, a, a saying that the, the custom back then is if you were a teacher, you didn't really make any money, but the, the people that you taught would fulfill every duty for you. And there's a rabbinic saying that said this, a rabbi saying that said, Every service which a slave performs for his master shall a disciple do for his teacher, except the loosing of his sandal thong. They considered that to be too low even for a servant to do for their master. So they said, I'll do everything but that. And here's what John says, hey, wait a minute, I'm not even fit to do that. See, the going philosophy was, that's too low for me to do. John's saying, that is even too high for me to do. I am not worthy, comparatively speaking, to even unloose his sandal. I'm not fit, and even my baptism is not fit because he's going to baptize you not just with water, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Fire was a sign of judgment. It was also a sign of cleansing. It was also a sign of purification. You would burn away the things that weren't pure so that what was left was what was pure. They would take gold and refine it in the fire. And in the fire, this gold, anything that wasn't gold would be burned off. I don't know, for those of you that aren't from around here, we had a huge wildfire in the last month, burned up thousands of acres. I was up there on Friday and I drove by some of Highway 90 and 31 and 20 and 2 and if you've been up that way, it's incredible. Houses that were destroyed, trees that were now just standing brown. Some of them have fallen over. They've died. And one of the things I noticed was fire burns everything that's burnable. It even jumped the road and burned things on the other side. People thought, well, it won't cross 31. 31 is, you know, four lanes with a median. It's, it's a big jump, and yet the wind blew the sparks over and it burned trees on the other side. The other thing you'll notice, though, is there's new growth already happening. There's green now coming up through the ground. and So even though it scorched the earth, literally, there's new growth. And that's what happens for us spiritually as we are purified by this fire that comes with the Holy Spirit. It's not to destroy us utterly. It's to burn away everything that doesn't look like what God wants. And what's left is the godly stuff. In fact, Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, there's a judgment coming. If you've been building with wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to burn up. There's not going to be anything left after the fire. But if you've been building with gold, silver, and precious stone, that's going to remain and you'll receive a reward. So John said, that's what's coming. Not just water, but fire and the Holy Spirit. And the reason I wanted you to know the literal meaning of the word baptism is because... You're going to be immersed into the Holy Spirit. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he says this about judgment. He says his winnowing fork is in his hand. It's this implement that would look kind of like a shovel somewhere across between a pitchfork and a shovel. They would go into a threshing floor that had the wheat and they would take the 
the shovel and into the wind, they would throw the wheat up into the wind and the chaff, the, the stuff that wasn't useful, the stuff that covered the wheat seed and really wasn't beneficial, it would blow away in the wind and what fell back to the floor would be the beneficial wheat that they could use to make bread and to eat. And John used that illustration, that analogy to compare to what Jesus was about to do. He's coming to his threshing floor. And John's thinking about the kind of people that he's just talked to. Some of them were just religious people. And some of them were these people that some considered the dredges of the earth, and yet they were the ones coming repenting. And he's saying, you're all laying on the threshing floor, and Jesus is going to find out which camp you really fall into. There's something about the gospel, folks, that divides people. We see it throughout the Gospels. There were people that heard the message that Jesus preached and some went away believing. Others went away shaking their heads and saying, I can't go with that. And what John says is this winnowing fork is going to blow away the chaff. It's useless. In fact, the only thing we're going to do with that is just burn it up in an unquenchable fire. A perpetual fire will burn that. But what remains is the good fruit. What remains is what's beneficial. And that will be gathered into the barn. So the question as we close this morning is, you hear the message of John the Baptist, but you see him foretell of the ministry of Jesus. And so I close with this question. Which are we? Are we the religious people who are producing things that to the world looks good, and yet John would have said, you're just an offspring of poison. And then he would say, you're really just chaff. You're kind of mixed in with the wheat right now, but ultimately you're going to blow away and what you've done is going to burn up because it's of no use. Or have you become, by true repentance, a follower of Jesus Christ? See, we know the rest of the story. We know the gospel, the good news, and that is that Jesus came to bring salvation to the sinner. Which are you? Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me as we close. Father, thank you for the truth of your word, for the message that we see from John the Baptist. And Lord, really the message that points us to Christ, to recognize and to acknowledge that we need a Savior. We're not out just for another religious tradition just to add to our resume. But Father, I pray that our hearts would be changed as we become followers of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray not just in church on Sunday, but during the week on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, there'd be evidence in our lives that other people could see that would draw them to you. Not for our glory, but for yours. And that's our prayer in Christ's name.